The Music Business Worldwide podcast is supported by Volley Music, a leading financial management platform for the music industry. Volley enables you to track expenses, approve invoices, and make payments 24-7, 365 days a year. For your free trial, head to volleymusic.com. That's V-O-L-Y music.com. Hello and welcome to the latest Music Business Worldwide podcast supported by Volley Music, now known as Volley Entertainment. I'm Tim Ingham, the founder of Music Business Worldwide, and this podcast is dedicated to a crisis that it's not an exaggeration to say is well on its way to destroying the heart of the live music scene in the UK. The Music Venue Trust is a trade body that represents the interests of a vital collective of British live music venues. It's just released a bunch of shocking statistics in its annual report, including the fact that in 2023, on average, two of the UK's live music venues were shutting their doors every single week. Before we delve further into some of these stats, I need to set some context. Amongst the venues that the Music Venue Trust represents are what it calls grassroots music venues or GMVs. It surveyed 835 of these GMVs in its 2023 annual report. These venues have an average capacity of 309 people, 309 people, though that can range to a capacity of over 650 people at the larger end of the scale. In the parlance of the United States live music industry, I believe they can broadly be described as club venues. Now, as anyone who's ever worked in live or indeed the recorded music business will tell you, these GMVs or club venues are an essential research and development home for new artists, some of whom will go on to become the most lucrative and biggest superstars in the global music industry. As I mentioned, the Music Venue Trust's latest report shows that two GMVs are shutting down every week in the UK, and that's shocking enough. But even that stat doesn't portray the financial desperation of the entire sector. Perhaps the most knockout data point in the new report is that 38.5% of GMVs reported an annual financial loss in 2023. To repeat that, over a third of club-sized music venues in the UK are currently operating at a loss. That isn't due to a lack of consumer demand. According to the Music Venue Trust's report, there were more music shows at GMVs in 2023 than in the prior year. Average ticket prices rose by just under 5% year on year. But unfortunately, that couldn't compete with rises in rental costs alongside the rising expense of energy and other outgoings. On this podcast, I'm joined by Mark David, founder and CEO of the Music Venue Trust, who explains how his organisation intends to solve this issue, likely via a levy placed on ticket sales in larger venues like arenas and stadiums. Mark explains why this is a more complicated issue and a more complicated scenario than merely being the free market in action. And he suggests that it's only a matter of time before the UK's live music venue crisis reaches a similar point of desperation in the United States. 
Mark, David, welcome to the Music Business Worldwide podcast. Just having a leaf through the report before we spoke, these stats are pretty stark. I'm sure we're going to come back over some of them, but you know, the idea of two venues shutting a week and probably most alarmingly that over a third of the pool of UK venues we're talking about here reported a financial loss last year. So I guess before we get into it, just how bad have things gotten and what are the primary factors behind things reaching such a perilous state? I think that's probably the most important question. The things are very bad. There's no point in glossing over that. There are some positive things in the annual report. There are more people going to live music concerts at this level than there's ever been before. But the reality is that the cost of putting on, especially new and emerging talent, artists that are trying to find their audience for the first time, maybe their first tour, maybe even their first gig, those particular type of events, which is really the essence of what we need these venues to do, those are the ones that are the least affordable, that are losing the most amount of money. And frankly, we've now reached a situation where the simple act of putting on a new and emerging artist is a short route, frankly, to bankruptcy. And the reasons for that are the spiraling costs. It's nothing to do with audience behaviour. It's much more to do with rents going up by an average 37.5%, staffing costs accelerating post-pandemic, rates coming back in for quite a lot of our members due to the increasing value of buildings. Everything just comes together and you just cannot make that work. I'm going to play devil's advocate because I know the answer to this and I know my own feelings on it, but let's play free market absolutist here and say, surely the free market answer to this is that tickets need to go up and to cover all these additional costs. And if the demand isn't there, then there isn't a market any longer. What's your view on that take? Well, ticket prices have gone up, but there is a limit to how much people we can expect people to pay at this level to see acts they haven't seen yet. And so really the question is, do we need there to be acts that are developing? Do we need there to be artists that are coming through from this circuit? I think it's fairly clear that we do. I've heard some debate from people saying, well, artists are discovered in different ways. We don't see a lot of evidence of that yet. I think people tend to think that streaming platforms or anything arrived yesterday. But, you know, YouTube has been around for nearly 20 years. These are not new methods of artist discovery. But what we aren't seeing is we aren't seeing the artists that don't have a grounding in live performances progressing to headline festivals, progressing to selling out stadiums. There is a talent pipeline. It does require you to move through it to learn the skills. The free market argument, okay, but honestly, at the moment, the ticket price would need to be £30. Who's going to pay £30 to see three acts they don't really know yet? It's not believable. And we can't have this entire sector collapse because economically viable at the point that it's happening, even though in the long term, of course, the entire health of the industry is built on this activity. At the very top of the record industry, of course, we look at the live industry, we particularly look at the music rights industry. There's all this chatter about super fans and how do you unlock more value from super fans? How do you unlock more spend from super fans? And I guess one key argument here is you're not going to have super fans unless an artist is able to foster a following and a live following early on in their career. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. We have all this data these days about how much of an artist income is reliant upon live performances, even at the top of the industry. The highest earners we have in the world, a huge amount of their income is coming from their live performances. And yet we seem to be leaning on the concept of a career 
that perhaps doesn't include live performance. There are models of that. I'm not saying they're not, but certainly lower down the food chain, these middle bands, the startup artists, this kind of thing, there must be a model that just makes it economically affordable for them to essentially have even a low-level career. And at the moment, there isn't. That's the practical thing. We take away their ability to earn from live. We are really crippling a huge number of potential great artists that we're going to need in the future. And I take the point that there are models. There are examples of artists, strangely embarrassing to name, some weird reason. But I'll take an artist called Lauv, for instance, L-A-U-V. Huge streaming numbers, not a massive live act. And I'm sure streaming makes up, in his particular case, a large part of what he's earning out of the music industry. However, I do think that even on the record side, most executives, most talent developers would acknowledge that if an artist doesn't have a strong live following, you're going to struggle to implant the sort of brand of that artist in people's heads. You're going to struggle to make people care about that artist, ultimately. I think that's right. And I, the, the issue we see is that, especially around longevity, that actually when we look at the artists who have had long sustainable careers and still, in many cases, still have those careers, actually it is true that there has been a progression through a ladder of live performance. I think it's we can get quite data-driven about this and not just think about practical examples. The practicality is if you go around and you play a 200-capacity venue, it's quite likely you meet all the fans that are in the room to see you do that. I know artists who go to their own merch table at this level, they've met, to do 100 of those shows, they've met 20,000 people. Those 20,000 people are the super fans. They feel personally invested. They will follow that artist for years to come. Artists that we never particularly bothered the charts have very sustainable careers from that kind of activity. And I think that personal interaction, in the end, this is still a people industry. And the way that fans feel about an artist is very much shaped by their experience of the live performance. I mean, I'm coming at it from a music industry point of view and indeed a record industry point of view a couple of times. But I guess the other part of this is I have a great live venue near, well, one of the ones nearest me is Bedford Esquire, an amazing venue. And you can see the kind of entrepreneurial energy that goes into that, whether it be getting tribute bands or cover bands, as well as up and coming bands, as well as established bands and artists. There's so much thought and wheeling, dealing and knowing that this particular popular tribute act is going to sell out the night. And that therefore gives us the leeway to maybe try and break through another artist, local artist like Tom Grennan. has got a big sort of mural there because uh, it was so important to his career. Where I'm headed is you're saying that these venues sell more tickets than ever, which is great. And obviously there's a shortfall and indeed a loss-making model for many of them that needs to be fixed. So on the one hand, the free market argument is put the tickets up. But I also completely appreciate your saying, but the margin that have to go up to even make these venues turn a firm profit is unsustainable. So is there a question around really what kind of society do we want here? It's a bigger question than the music industry. Do we want somewhere where these communally joyous occasions can take place. And if the economy can't sustain that, if the free market economy can't sustain that, particularly in a cost of living crisis, there needs to be an additional solution. And we're going to come into where that solution comes from shortly. But is that kind of one of the arguments here that it's about more than the industry of the thing? It's about the society that you want to live in. What a great question, Tim. I mean, basically, yes, is the answer to that question. But the detail on that is as an industry, we tend to be very insular in the way that we consider things. And a lot of the discussion around 
the failure of these venues has focused on where will we find the next Dua Lipa or Ed Sheeran or any of the other artists that have performed through these venues and gone on to have great careers. That's really important. And I really think it it does need to be a focus of discussion in our industry. But we have missed an entirely different thing that's happening. Bath Moles closed down after 45 years. I have never seen a community as angry as the people of Bath are, and neither has their local MP. We're talking about people losing access to live, new and original live music in their communities they really care about. And our failure to spot that was going on has really moved the political agenda way past where we are. While we're still having an insular conversation about, oh, well, do we need to do this because it will generate the new arts of the future? Our, we launched our report in Parliament on Tuesday this week. Most MPs, and there were a lot in the room, 10% of the House of Commons turned up to our launch. Most MPs are principally concerned that this is reshaping our towns, our smaller cities in ways they don't like and their voters don't like. And I think we have to accept that. People feel very strongly that live music should be in their communities. They care very passionately about it. If we don't get on top of this, we're going to find there will be a political solution rather than one that we created ourselves because we have not paid attention to that. I call it the big question. Whose city is this? What's it for? Who does it belong to? And when you ask people those questions, they will tell you. I love my local music venue. I'm they're really upset when it closes down. They don't mind if it produced Coldplay. They care that they can't go somewhere on a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Friday or Saturday night and see local live music or support their friends. They care that there should be somewhere in the communities. We've really lost sight of that while we were having a quiet insular argument about where does talent come from. The rate of ticket sales indicates that it's not because these venues aren't popular or because people don't love going to them. There's too big a gap between what is being expected to be paid and the business realities of running the venues. I did want to just briefly say, because obviously we're talking a lot about the UK. And as I said before, the situation is clearly perilous here. Do you think this is a situation that is going to translate to other territories, in particular, the largest music territory in the world, both live, recorded, etc., the United States? Yes, absolutely. It is We are in contact with Neva in the United States, which is our equivalent organization there. We speak regularly with Canada Music Live. We have conversations in Australia. This is a worldwide problem. And it's, again, it can get quite esoteric and data-driven, but let's just be very practical. The product that we're asking these venues to sell to the public doesn't have value yet. It has value for us as an industry in the future. And what we fail to do is connect the dots between the research and development effectively that's being done in these venues and the end outcome, which is by that research development, we will generate multi-million, if not billion, streaming artists with incredible careers. It's not quite as bad yet in North America, but it's bad. It's probably equivalently bad in Australia. We're seeing venue closures everywhere around the world. Everybody in our sector knows it. And I think the wider industry knows it. We aren't getting on top of it fast enough. Whatever solution we come up with in the UK, and I think I'm hopeful there will be a solution within the next 12 months, I think we're going to see that replicated eventually around the world. Well, that makes the work you're doing all the more important, but I guess we're nudging towards the most interesting part of this discussion, because you've raised the point that these venues effectively foster and develop talent that then goes on to be much more lucrative for the industry down the line. And you've used the phrase research and development. Now, if this was research and development 
of a tech product in the UK, you'd expect some governmental support. Indeed, we've seen some governmental support, thanks to the work Music Venue Trust do. In the report, it says there's £3.1 million of grants and donations, indeed, that went towards these venues from supporters and funding sources in 2023, I presume that is. But it's not enough. So where is the rest of the money going to come from? Obviously, there may be a little bit of leeway on the ticket prices as we talked about. And there may be a little bit of increase in the donations people might be willing to give, but there's still blatantly going to be a shortfall. And where do you believe that shortfall should be covered? How rather do you believe that shortfall should be covered? I'm going to do, I'd like to just describe the size of the shortfall so people get a sense of exactly how bad this is. In 2022, these venues sold £133 million of tickets and spent £212 million, a loss of £79 million, on putting on live music. In 2023, which the annual report covers now, they sold £134 million worth of tickets, so up by a tiny amount. But the costs of doing it went up to £248 million, a loss of nearly £115 million. That size of loss means there's no way to balance this with any kind of localized solution about ticketing or alcohol price increases we are going to need external funding to make live music affordable the obvious way to do this is to connect the success that we see once an artist reaches a certain level of a career back into the circuit from which they emerged and our simple way of thinking about that is to think about arena and stadium shows the number of tickets being sold And could there be a contribution from every ticket back into a fund that these venues can apply for specifically around the issue of taking risks with their programming? How can we encourage them to put on more new and emerging artists? How can we make it affordable for them to do that? So we've proposed starting in 2018, Tim, I'm afraid. So that gives you an idea of how slowly we're getting around to this. We started saying in 2018, this would be the inevitable outcome. What about one pound contribution from arena and stadium tickets? We did get a long way. Then the pandemic came along. That's obviously hit people's bottom lines, but we need to get that back in. The question that we're answering at the moment is, and back to that issue about whose city is it, what, how do local communities feel? I would strongly advocate this should be voluntary and that we should do it ourselves and the key stakeholders in the industry, our biggest companies, should have a stake in how it's done and where it goes and what it does and how it supports. The challenge we now have is we are being overtaken by circumstance. I don't think the incoming British government, whichever shade of politics it is, I don't think they will tolerate no solution because local communities are losing access to live music. They're not going to put up with it. The danger here is our failure to act is we will end up with a mandatory levy, which is what happens in France. 3.5% of each ticket goes into a fund managed by the Central National Musique. The challenge with that is... And while I love the French model for what it does for small venues, it's great. The reality is a large amount of that money disappears into things that aren't beneficial to the music industry, don't support new and emerging talent. It ends up being carved up by cultural entities, much like our public funding is here. It is much leaner, much more affordable to do it voluntarily. The question is, are we going to do that fast enough or are we going to get overtaken by circumstances? If we're going to speak frankly... There are ultimately two companies 
that you need to convince to do this Live Nation and AEG. Obviously, no need to speak of either of them specifically, but what's the temperature right now in the conversations I presume that you've been having with these and other large companies, particularly those two, obviously, because this is duopoly at the top of the market. What's the temperature? How close does your gut tell you are getting to a voluntary solution versus the point that you made actually involving the government? I think when we should praise, first of all, there are a number of companies who have actually stepped forward and taken some action on this within their power to do so. And oddly, I I might be the first person to ever come on the podcast and say, well done, Ticketmaster, who did actually bring forward a one-month donation scheme from the public and then match fund that. So that was really impressive. Skiddle, another ticketing company, have done a great job and they're introducing a contribution on each ticket that they're going to sell in 2024. There are tiny companies, a company like Good Show, very small ticketing company, but they're doing the same thing. The challenge is, and that's why I wanted to say how big the gap was, this gap is £115 million. And occasional donations from the public and month-long campaigns isn't really going to do it, and neither is Coldplay playing one underplay to raise this issue into public perception. We need a proper structured solution. The answer is that, at the moment, this is like a weird Mexican standoff. It's like watching the end of Reservoir Dogs, where everybody's got a loaded gun, but they're all pointing at each other. Everybody thinks seems to think it's somebody else's decision to actually make a voluntary levy happen, And because of that, there is an inertia around this, which is frankly unhelpful. I don't believe that the actual concept of there being a central fund that supports this risk-taking, I don't think that's as contentious as people might think it is. Most people in the industry now understand we can't let this carry on. It is important to our futures. We are in danger of being, frankly, attacked by the government for our inaction. And I think people understand that. But at the moment, there's a lot of pointing at each other. So the promoters are pointing at the arenas who are pointing back at the promoters, who are pointing at the agents, who are pointing at the managers, who are pointing at the artists, and the artists are pointing back at everybody else and saying, well, let's get this done. But then everybody says, well, we haven't actually done it yet. Are we close to a voluntary levy? I think it would only take one major artist to inform the industry that actually we've listened, this needs to happen, and I think everything would probably unlock I think it's unlikely that decision will come from Live Nation or AEG because I think there are international implications about what this might mean elsewhere and the structure of these companies and their ability to take such a decision in one territory without thinking about others is not impossible, but it's difficult. Although it sounds to me like from what you said previously on the way that the industry is going in various territories around the world, that may ultimately be the case. It may ultimately be the case anyway, but I take your point. Just generally speaking, to wrap things up, how optimistic are you? I mean, you nodded towards the fact that you seem optimistic this is going to happen one way or another. How optimistic are you that it is going to happen and in what time frame? Because it sounds, reading through the report and hearing what you've had to say, it sounds like this is something that needs to happen sooner rather than later. Two venues shutting a week. Every single month that goes by, we're seeing communities affected, we're seeing the industry affected, etc. So on a positive note, how optimistic are you that this is going to happen and in what time frame? I'm super optimistic. You can nail me down. I would say the chances of it not happening, either voluntary or biometric levy, are down below. They're into single figures percent. The political atmosphere around this, it's a hot issue. There's a government incoming, like I say, whichever side the political carries on, that doesn't have a lot of leeway to do things. Again, because I know this is listened to, I'd like to really emphasise to some of these big companies. If you can just imagine what an incoming government will think about its ability to take on an industry that's less 
letting small venues close down and find a way that they can stop that happening without it having any implications on tax, <laughs> but actually just bringing companies to order. Do you know, I, they're going to do that and wait for their round of applause. And I really strongly, again, please don't let that happen. It's the A mandatory levy is the second worst part of this potential outcome. The worst one is that there was no fund and venues continue to close. So regrettably, we are forced into the position because of the inertia of talking to politicians about the potential of mandatory levy. At the moment, I keep saying, I'm really hopeful the industry will do it itself. But the reality is that I don't see any way out of this that the industry isn't going to be expected to step up, make sure small local venues are staying open, making sure that local communities have access to live music. The reality is if it is on a ticket contribution, practically this fund could not probably start to have money to give out until January 2026. And that is because of the length of time, the lead-in time for putting major tickets on sale. 2025 tickets are already on sale. We can't do it retrospectively. It needs to be planned in advance. And there will need to be some recosting. I don't think we should just slap a pound on the tip and tell audiences, well, you've got to pay that now. I think there is some addressing of responsibility, how many levies there are already on tickets, which is another hot potato that politicians are super interested in. Why is it £58.75 to buy a £40 ticket? I've been in the industry a long time and I've seen I've done lots of roles within it. We are deliberately opaque about some of the things we do, and I don't mind that. I'm very practical about it. I know why we do some of these things. Please let's not have a parliamentary inquiry where we'll have to explain our entire business because we saw what happened with streaming, and that frankly, we all know was a disaster. <laughs> we didn't look good on telly, you know. Fair to say that certain factions of the industry still haven't kissed and made up following that fairly angry process. So I'm sure the live industry would probably on a sensible day vote to avoid that process again. I love what you said before, but the politicians are going to push this through either way and wait for their applause. And we all know how much these Politicians of all stripes hanker for applause, and it's not something that in this nation, in the UK anyway, is happening very often right as we speak. It's an easy win for them. So that's something for the listeners to bear in mind. Mark, David, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and for pushing forward this agenda and helping communities in the way that you are. Real pleasure to speak to you, Tim. And my message to the industry is let's just get this done. Thanks, mate.